It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Over. Over is the nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. Over. For all of you degenerate gamblers out there, I'm not talking about over as in the over-under of the Ravens-Cowboys game. I'm talking about over as in Des Bryant's season is over. Sort of before it even started. What happened in case you were sleeping? While you were sleeping, as Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock would, at, would say, Des Bryant, here's what happens. He's on the field. He's in the locker room. He's getting dressed. He's put the pads on. He puts his cup on, thigh guards, his ass guard. Not a neck guard. There's no more Otis Sistrunk neck guards anymore. Goes on the field, starts warming up. Everything's going fine. He's excited. He's playing the Cowboys. He's completely jacked up. Of course, he wants to have a good game against the Cowboys. Ravens have been struggling. They need a win. Des Bryant is back. All of a sudden, this happens. Des? Des? Hi. Des, it's John from the NFL. I'm so sorry to bother you, but could you please come with me? Uh, I'm, I'm warming up. What's going on? Des, I'm sorry, but you've tested positive for COVID. You're going to have to come off the field right now. Des Bryant looks at the guy and says, what are you talking about? I tested positive. Well, what happened was we had an inconclusive test yesterday, so we had to redo the test, which we always do, and the rapid PCR test just came back, and you're positive. So you're done. You're off the field. Calls up Jerry Jones, calls up Harbaugh, whoever's there for Baltimore, who's ever there for Dallas, and says, okay, we're going to look at Dez's wrist. Remember those gadgets that the players are wearing in the NFL, which tracks who they're with and where they are, the kind that Robert Kraft would never wear? Yeah, those. So they check the bracelet, and they find out that Dez, for whatever reason, has not been in close enough contact with anyone to merit any sort of issue with the game. Personally, I understand what that means. My friend at CBS, former uh, star prospect and great player and world champion, Will Middlebrooks, now known as Jenny Dell's husband. I'm just kidding, Will. You're known for way more than that. You're Maddie's dad. Will Middlebrooks says, wow, what a joke that is. How is it possible that Des Bryant was not in contact with his teammates, was not in huddles, was not participating in pregame activities Yet the NFL, because it's convenient for the NFL and they could not ruin 
a Tuesday game, which, by the way, can you imagine we had a Tuesday pick of the day in the NFL? The game goes on. The Ravens have a set of protocols, and they've been strict, and they've been great. Really? Take a look back at what's been going on with the Ravens. The Cowboys, they followed it. His bracelet's clear. We are a go for launch, folks. We're playing. Des Bryant loses his mind, literally loses his mind. He says, yeah, he tweets out, of course, because that's how we communicate with PR, with the media right now in the public. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call it quits for the rest of the season. He posted on Twitter. I can't deal with this. So I started thinking, what is it that he can't deal with? So I came up with a list of three possibilities that he can't deal with, which would cause him to say, you know what? I was going to play for the Ravens, but now I'm not playing for the Ravens. I'm D-O-N-E. It's O-V-E-R. One, I don't want to die. That's a good one. It's a good reason, right? He doesn't want to get sick. He doesn't want to have to go to the hospital. He doesn't want to be one of the small percentage of people in that demographic who would die, meaning young and healthy, purportedly. Second possible reason. He knew very well that he was not going to be able to perform the way he wanted to perform. He didn't feel great, even though he may have been asymptomatic, but there was something going on, maybe a a remnant of his injury, maybe just his body just wasn't responding. And so he said, this is a perfect excuse. I'm not going to play. I don't think it's that. Three. He looked across at the Cowboys and he had such anguish and angst and anxiety over playing the Cowboys that he said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to play today, but I can't make it look like I'm ghosting the Cowboys. So I'm going to sit out the rest of the season. And that's that three. And then I started thinking that couldn't have been it. What it must be is that Des Bryant fell prey to what so many of us do by violating the 30 minute rule. The 30-minute rule, as people on Nothing Personal know, is that you do not make any decisions within 30 minutes of an emotional event. You do not talk to the media. You do not tweet. You do not Instagram. You do not tic-tac. You do nothing. You just go to your room. You sit down. You take a breath. You have a glass of wine maybe take a hit. You do whatever you have to do to take it down a notch. It is possible that within 30 minutes of him finding out that he'd been pulled from the game that he was so excited to play because he was feeling perfectly healthy, ready to go, and he was going to shove it up the Cowboys' keister, he may have been so overcome with anger that he decided to tweet what he tweeted. I'm going to give him the benefit of that doubt because I believe that Des Bryant will come back and that he'll get off the COVID list, and then he'll realize that it is in his best interests to recover from COVID, obviously, and then to get back on the field and help the Ravens make the playoffs and have a deep run into January. We live in, the, in a world right now where everyone has access to an IR. We call it at CBS Sports HQ an IA, which is instant analysis, it's, it's a thing when there's breaking news. We want to be on the air first. We want to have it quickly. And we have analysts who are available in all the different sports and they get on and they do an instant analysis. 
I always call it an IR. It's an instant reaction because you don't have time to really sift through what the signing means or what the trade means or what the suspension means or whatever it is that we're talking about. But there's a race to be first. It is important because we want to be able at CBS Sports HQ to send out a breaking news alert to your phone on the assumption that you're going to click it and then you're going to get to CBS Sports HQ and then you're going to see my smiling face and you're going to see me talking about instant analysis. But I call it an instant reaction. And the problem with instant reactions is there's no time to actually understand what the long term and even medium medium term implications are of the move. And we just give a reaction in the immediate short term that very likely is not perfectly thought out. It's not perfectly vetted. And by definition, it's called an instant reaction. It doesn't give the listener anything other than a surfacey taste of what happened. And the problem with instant reactions, in my opinion, is that they do a disservice both to the reactor and the reactee. The reactee is all of us who take what is said, and we tend to internalize it and use that as the actual reaction of the person who is giving the response. And that's a problem. It goes back to some of the uh, libel lawsuits that I've learned about and studied. Do you know that uh, there's an old saying that when you accuse somebody of something, it's on page one when you apologize because you had no basis for the accusation, it turns out to be wrong. The apologies on page 20. That's the same thing here where Des Bryant makes headlines by saying it's over. I quit. I'm done. I'm not going to play. I've pulled, I've been pulled from the, from the uh, field. And then when he comes back, it's going to be the 20th story on the 13th page. Des Bryant returns from the COVID inactive list and plays for the Ravens. So there's no life and death here. This is not the end of the world. But the reason why I wanted to make the word of the day over is I felt it was important that, like my expression of never say never, which is an interesting expression to me on myriad levels, because I am saying never by saying never say never, but it's important to know that you never should say never because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I used over today because I thought it was important for people to understand that when Des Bryant says it's over, it's sort of important to know that it was over for that moment, not necessarily over for the season. So Des Bryant ended up not playing in the game. The game ended up, as you know, being a win for the Ravens and a cover, by the way. We won that nothing personal pick of the day. Des Bryant pulled off the field, people reacting as though the NFL doesn't know what it's doing, which, by the way, happens to be accurate as it comes to COVID because they're doing it by the seat of their pants. And there you have the nothing personal word of the day. I'm going to segue. I don't know exactly how to segue into this because it segued into a So You Want to Talk to Samson that's a far more serious subject, but it's important to cover right now because I want to make sure that people understand And I'm thankful for the question that I got on Twitter at David P. Sampson. When you have a question, Coco, we're we're forced contractually to play the music, which I love playing. What do you got for me? You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Sampson. You want to talk to Sampson. I love the fact that I said we're contractually obligated to play that because now you have the belief that we are paid by someone to play that little clip. Not true. So you want to talk to Samson. All right, ready? 
We're going to do a wipe right now. A wipe is when Coca goes to a nothing personal full screen and then comes back to me. So three, two, one. Thank you for joining Nothing Personal. We have a So You Want to Talk to Samson. That is a serious issue that is taking place. The question was, what is your reaction to Vanderbilt's women's team decision to stay in the locker room during the national anthem? What would your reaction be as president of the university? I appreciate that question because it gives us an opportunity here on Nothing Personal to talk about what's going on with people who are protesting the anthem. Goes back to obviously Colin Kaepernick when he kneeled for the anthem. People misunderstood that he was being uh, disrespectful to the military, which he wasn't. That he was being disrespectful to the country, which he wasn't. He was trying to bring attention to racial injustice, police brutality, systemic racism. Since that time, obviously, there has been a year with 2020 is coming to an end in 21 days, 22 days. There has been a historic, historic attention. And I say that with full knowledge of what happened with race riots in 68, what happened with slavery, what happened with all of the ways that we have tried as a country and people have tried through peaceful protests, through violent protests, through all sorts of different ways to bring attention to the racial inequalities and systemic racism. This year has really brought it to the forefront in a way that has not happened before. So Vanderbilt made this decision as a team. So the entire team is going to stay in the clubhouse. And then they released a statement to explain what they were doing. And I'm not going to read the whole statement, but I want to read part of it. Part of the statement says we want to set the example And we have made a commitment to be the change we want to see in the world. I love that sentence, but we're going to have to get back to it. We have encouraged each other to volunteer, vote, and donate. Okay. For the national anthem, we have chosen to stay in our locker room as a team to mourn and commemorate the racial injustices that have been taking place in the U.S. I want to be clear on the two sides to this issue that I have. I want you to think about them. You don't have to agree with me. That's the beauty of nothing personal. I don't want you to agree with everything I say. I want you to think about the issues we talk about, come to your own conclusion, and then act on that conclusion. It's what Coke and I do before every show, every day during the day, every night before the next day's show, every morning before before we do nothing personal, which as you know, is 45 minutes, five days a week straight through. My view is that the attention that Vanderbilt is bringing to itself by doing this is a positive. The words they said to describe why they're doing it is a negative. It's not necessary to not be on the field during the national anthem in order to mourn and commemorate racial injustices. And to say that it requires that sort of overt act to mourn and commemorate the racial injustices is to not give a big enough platform, which is to not give enough attention, which is to not force enough people to think long and hard about themselves and how they act and react to the racial injustices. Sitting in there during the anthem, What is that doing? How is that advancing the cause that needs advancing? There doesn't need to be more talk about what's taking place. There needs to be action. And action is not taking a knee. Action is not sitting in your clubhouse. 
action is what LeBron James does. Action is starting schools to educate, getting people out to vote in record numbers, which they did in this presidential election. Action is educating and giving money in order to have programs to teach cops how to act when they so badly want to exhibit racial injustice and police brutality. Acting is making sure that you are with your legislators. The Milwaukee Bucks, when they did not come out to play a game in the bubble, they didn't sit there and say by not playing in the game and sitting in our locker room, we are mourning and commemorating. No, they took the time to call their local legislators and say, what can we do right now? During the time that we would have been playing this game, you tell me the 10 things we need to do and we're going to do them because you know better than we what to do. Why couldn't the Vanderbilt women have said, and this is where Coca and I disagree, because Coca said, Samson, we wouldn't have covered this on nothing personal, but for the statement, but for Vanderbilt not being out on the court during the national anthem. And my response was, Coca, we're past that. We've got to be past that. If we end 2020 where we still need someone to not be on the court to tell us that we're going to take these two minutes and 44 seconds, depending on the over-under, to mourn and commemorate racial injustices, then we are right back where we started and we haven't made one tinker's damn of a difference. Someone needed to advise, and if I were the president of Vanderbilt, I would have said, listen, fine, you don't want to come out during the national anthem? What are you going to do during those two minutes and 47 seconds other than release a statement saying you're not going to come out? As president of Vanderbilt, I've got 20 things that you can do right now. If you play 15 games, you will have 30 minutes. 30 minutes isn't enough. I want you to pledge right now that you're not going to come out during the anthem and you are going to dedicate two hours a week. Instead of playing video games or reading a book or watching Netflix or hanging out with your friends or being on the bong pipe, you are going to spend two hours a week and we are going to have a phone bank where we are going to get people registered to vote. And then we are going to speak to our local legislators, both in Washington and locally in, in Coca, in locally in, locally in Nashville. That's what we are going to do. I'm all in for that. I want 2020 to end with action, not. What's the right word here, Coca, where I don't get in trouble. I don't care about getting in trouble. You know what? I don't care. I want people to end 2020 by doing things instead of sitting on their keister and reacting to a Twitter statement or reacting to something that someone else is doing. I want people to end 2020 by deciding that they are going to be the difference maker. Vanderbilt came close when they said, we want to set the example and we have made a commitment to be the change we want to see in the world. That's the perfect sentence to write in a statement, except it was followed up by exactly the opposite. If you want to change and that you want and you want to see, remember that line, and it's an Anthony Mackie line from Love the Coopers. Instead of talking about the person you want to be, why don't you wake up tomorrow and actually start acting like that person? If you want to read more books, don't talk about reading more books. Wake up tomorrow and read a book. If you want to make a change and try to deal with systemic racism and, and, just, and, and racial inequalities, 
Then wake up tomorrow and go speak to people who are on the ground, who are figuring out ways to actually make incremental difference instead of just saying. When we did the donations that we did early during COVID, which by the way, Coca, seems like six years ago, when we gave $1,000 a day away to different organizations trying to help people impacted by COVID, and then we switched over day 75 or something after the murder of George Floyd and gave $1,000 a day to organizations who were helping to curb systemic racism and racial inequality. Do you know that I took the time and Coca took the time to research not just research the organizations, but then I still follow up. I still am in contact with those organizations and I'm watching what our money did. But more importantly, I'm making sure that people who are saying they're going to do what they're going to do actually do what they're going to do. And I never stood on a soapbox and said that I'm the one giving away $1,000 a day for 100 days. Therefore, I've made the big difference in the world and I can sleep well at night. No. What I said is that I'm going to do my small part, but I'm going to try to do more. And here's the five things I'm going to do that will let me do more. That's what I hope people end 2020 with. Will they? That's a big time wait to see. I appreciate this. So you want to talk to Samson. It segues into the next issue perfectly. So we don't need a wipe here, Coca. CBS has the rights to the Champions League. So I've gotten pretty into the Champions League. And I'll stay totally into it until the end of February, maybe longer. Champions League is the best of the best. Something happened yesterday during a game that uh, it was complicated. It was disappointing. It was scary. And it made me sad. And here's what happened. There was a Champions League match between Paris Saint-Germain and the Istanbul, Istanbul Bashakshahirs. I don't know if you make that plural, but Paris Saint-Germain, and that's the name of a street, actually, Boulevard Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain. It's on the left bank in Paris. Paris Flex, Paris Flex. They were playing a game, and everything was going fine. 13 minutes into the game, that's when the time continuum changed. And the Champions League realized they have something they have to deal with immediately. What happened was there was a match official. There are several match officials. This was the fourth match official, which I guess makes him the fourth in charge. It is believed that he used a racially insensitive word toward one of the assistant coaches for the Istanbul team. This fourth official was a Romanian man. And he used the term against the assistant coach whose name is Pierre Wibo, who's from Cameroon. Pierre is black. Apparently, Pierre had gotten a red card. And Coca, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it true that non-players can get red cards during a match, during a football match? If you're still listening to the show. Thank you, Coca. Yes, it is. Apparently, Pierre had some issues with the officiating was shown a red card, and apparently he did not take it well and was not pleased, may not have left the bench in a timely manner. If he even had to leave the bench with a red card, I think you only have to leave after your second red card, maybe your first red card, whatever. There was some question by the other officials as to who the red card was for. The Romanian official pointed at the Istanbul Bashak Shahir bench, and said, 
roughly translated, the Negro one over there, go and check who he is. The black one over there. It's not possible to act like that. Well, players for both Paris Saint-Germain, which include Neymar, and another player who Coca told me before the show, I want to say Mbappe, but I don't think that's right. It's called Nimbappe. Nimbappe. They, along with the players for Istanbul, said they will not continue the game. They immediately decided to protest because they wanted that official removed from the game immediately. Didn't happen fast enough, and they walked off the field. It ended up becoming an announcement that the game was postponed and would be restarted again today at nil-nil in the 13th minute. And the official in question, the Romanian official, would not be part of the officiating crew. My question is this. Was the protest by the players handled correctly? And how would I have handled this if I were the governing body? The word for black in Spanish is negro. The word for black in French includes what we would say as Anglos, negro. The insensitivity of describing someone by their color is quite different than racist acts. It's quite different than calling a Jewish person a kike or calling a black person the N-word. Is it not possible that the Romanian official, let me set a case for you as though we're in court where all I have to do is prove beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal court. There are five people over there on the corner. The main first official goes up to the fourth official, fourth official and says, who's the red card for? And the fourth official says, it's the black guy over there. He says it in his language. The first official says, okay. And he goes up and says, excuse me, this red card's for you, Pierre. If it were five white people, you would describe it as the person over there wearing the pink shirt with the long black hair. That's the way to describe someone. If there's two white people and three black people over there and they're all wearing the same shirt, is it not possible that it is completely appropriate to look over and say, hey, it's the white guy in the pink shirt who's got one sock below his knee? Hey, it's one of the black guys over there with the shorter hair wearing sunglasses. Have I potentially given you a kernel of a doubt, a little reasonable doubt that the Romanian official was racist and was using a racist term? In my mind, I have. And I'm not racist. I'm the opposite of racist. I don't condone it. And that's secondary to the fact that I'm not it. I don't think anyone should be racist. I'm an equal opportunity Intolerant person. 
I'm not intolerant of your race. I'm not intolerant of your size. I'm intolerant of people's reactions to things. I'm intolerant of people who are slow when I'm trying to check out of a store. I'm intolerant of people who say they're going to do something and then don't. I'm intolerant of people who have the opportunity to do something and choose not to. I'm intolerant of people who are given an opportunity and throw it away. I've got plenty of problems on my own. Plenty of reasons that I'm intolerant. Race is not one of them. I'm intolerant of people who are looking for an example and end up ruining lives when they do not have the proper information. If the Romanian official is a racist, jackass, pig, disgusting person, I want him to be labeled that all over the internet and never get another job ever until he's educated on what it means to be a racially tolerant person. Just like you know, the principle for me is innocent until proven guilty. A shocking principle here in the United States, isn't it? Where so many people are convicted in the court of public opinion before they have a chance to be convicted in the court of law. What if it's you? What if one day it's your turn where you're wrongly accused of something and there's nothing you can do because you've been convicted before you've had a chance to explain what you did? I guess my problem here is, Coca, that we're using 2020 as a potentially year to remember, as a historical year that they'll look back in 30 or 40 years and say, this was the beginning of the end of worldwide racism, of genocide, of racial cleansing. This was the beginning. We can bookmark this year as when people began to understand that color has nothing to do with what a person is about because there can be someone who's as white as day, who's a disgusting pig, and there can be someone who's black as day who can also be a disgusting pig. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin, zero. And I don't know what it's like other than being Jewish, but I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be Puerto Rican. I don't know what it's like to be Christian. Everything I'm not, I don't know what it's like to be. But that doesn't mean I don't have the empathy to be that. And part of the empathy has to be having empathy, not just for the accuser, but for the accused. And I'm not talking about someone who's caught red handed, pulling the trigger and killing someone. Not only do I have no empathy, I don't believe that there should even be a trial. If you are seen shooting someone, you are convicted and put to death. Yes, I'm in favor of the death penalty. Shocking because so many people on my on Twitter think that I'm this unbelievable liberal. So many people think I'm a conservative. The point is you don't know what I am because I'm nothing personal. I want to be both for you because I want you to decide what you are. Before we condemn what the Romanian official did, before we say that Neymar and all the players were 100% right, how about a pause in the game where you try to get an understanding of what took place and then you decide as a team what to do. If in fact that Romanian official was racist, you protest, you walk off that field and you demand that you will not take the field, not until he's back, not until he's suspended, until he is fired and given not bull crap sensitivity training. I'm talking about until he is educated enough to understand that the words he used were harmful and wrong. 
When we come back, we're going to talk about a movie that I watched. It's a miracle that I'm alive. It really is a miracle. I cannot believe it. We're also going to get to Jim Harbaugh, who continues to give me great stuff to talk about and nothing personal. And I cannot let the show end without a little bit of James Harden, a little bit of Harden in my life, a little bit of, that's a song that you've never heard of. It's called Mambo Number no. 5. I used to listen to that while running marathons over and over and over. Anyway, please come back to Nothing Personal right after this break. Bills are being paid. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet. We're going to talk about James Harden, who did report to training camp. We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh, who is not playing Ohio State this week. But first, we're going to review a movie that I was told to watch by several people who I trust. It's called Class Action Park. I do not remember where I saw it, and that is my fault. I want to say I saw it on HBO, but I could be wrong. It could have been Amazon. It could have been Hulu. It could have been Netflix. Class Action Park is a documentary about a water park in New Jersey called Action Park. It's on HBO. Thank you, Coca. Now, Coca grew up around Action Park, I think. Did you ever go to Action Park, Coca? We didn't even cover the review on, when, during our prep for the show. I'm not sure you're old enough to have gone because Action Park was at its height when I was in high school. When I was a senior in high school, that was 1986. We would skip school sometimes and go to amusement parks and do stuff uh, that we weren't supposed to do because we weren't supposed to do it, and that's what you do in the 80s. And back then, there were no cell phones. You could actually disappear, pretend you went to school and uh, not go to school, then come home as though you had gone to school. It was called, we used to call it this crazy expression called plain hooky. And uh, I don't think they use that word anymore. Hooky, is that what happens, Coco, when you skip classes? Is it called hooky? What's the millennial word for that? That's H-O-O-I-K-I-E. Do you know that word? Come on, Coco, tell me. Oh, same thing. Okay, so it lasted. So we go to Action Park, and it's this crazy water park where the slides are insane, where the rides, are, it's this aggressive park. And I'm a huge roller coaster guy. I love the adrenaline rush. I love the thrill. I want to have the chance of getting hurt. I want the chance. Not the guarantee, but I need the chance. I need to feel that. That's why I love skydiving and all the, all the crazy races I do. I want the chance. So Action Park, it turns out, was class action park because they were sued so many times because people not just got injured, but were dying there left and right. And all the rides that I went on were so dangerous, but I was not aware going in that they were dangerous to the point of negligence. 
I thought they were just dangerous to the point of an anxiety attack or dangerous to the point of if you if you really don't pay attention or you decide not to use the brake on an alpine slide, that that's your fault. I didn't realize that the brakes didn't work on the alpine slide or that it was built in a way that made it so the odds are you're going to die. Glass Action Park became Mountain Creek after it was sold. That's where Coco went. It is now a, it turned into a ski resort. Now it's just sort of, they're trying to reclaim it and trying to start over because there's all this 1980s nostalgia. This documentary is interesting only in that. If you've been to that area and you're an amusement park person, it's well worth watching. It scared me. Have you ever done something and then gotten scared after the fact? I don't get scared before I get that rush of adrenaline, that sort of anxiety that you feel, but it's not fear. It's that little butterfly in your stomach that you know you're doing something that makes you uncomfortable, and that's the feeling I crave. That's why I love change. I love doing things that make me uncomfortable because I love that sort of stomach ache. That feeling when you're going up in the roller coaster, that is a great feeling. And so if I knew then that it's not just about the feeling of anxiety of being scared and being exhilarated, but actually that I was dealing with a guy who owned Action Park who had reckless disregard toward whether I lived or died – that that would have been a problem. Class Action Park. Check it out. Okay. Let's talk about, oh, we got to do that. We have to. A, because we said we would, and B, because I have to. Remember we talked about uh, Big Ten yesterday, and I think our word of the day, it may have not been yesterday, it may have been two days ago, or it may have been last week. When was our word of the day manipulation when Barry Alvarez was talking about uh, changing the rules so Ohio State could still represent the Big Ten in the uh, college football playoff championship. Well, yesterday it was official at Michigan OSU, the game that was scheduled for this weekend, has been canceled because of all the Michigan uh, uh, COVID situation. And it turns out that there are now theories that the game was canceled well in advance because they want to give Ohio State a chance to find a sixth opponent because if they can find a sixth opponent, then maybe they don't have to change the rules that they had came up, come up with in order for Ohio State to get into the championship game, win the championship game over Indiana, and then go into the college football playoff. So the game gets officially canceled, and there's all sorts of articles written about why it was canceled, what happened. And I was laughing because people must not have been watching or listening to Nothing Personal, which, by the way, thank you for watching, listening to Nothing Personal, and telling your friends, et cetera, because we knew it was going to be canceled, number one, and it wasn't that Jim Harbaugh, remember when Kirk Herbstreet had to apologize for saying that Michigan was trying to avoid Ohio State? They were pretending they had COVID. That was part of another segment we did, making fun of everybody's apologies and how crazy and quick everyone is to apologize. And they're all sort of noise signifying nothing. So the reactions to the cancellation have been so widespread across the board with people talking about the conspiracy of canceling early to get the sixth game, people saying that Jim Harbaugh didn't want to play Ohio State because he's in a contract negotiation. That one made me laugh. That Jim Harbaugh manufactured all the COVID going on in Michigan because why would he want to play Ohio State? Because he doesn't want to have a loss on his record while he's negotiating an extension because his contract runs out after 2021. Can we talk about that? I'm a cynical guy by nature. There is zero chance that Jim Harbaugh's contract for 2021 and beyond has anything to do with how Michigan would do against Ohio State this coming weekend if they were able to play. And I don't mean like 
1% or two. I'm talking zero. Jim Harbaugh is in negotiations right now with the athletic director. They've been talking for a year about what to do because they will not let Harbaugh go into next year as a lame duck. They will either fire him after this season or extend him after the season. To me, it's very binary. If I'm the president of Michigan and the AD, I am not going to have any sort of question about Jim Harbaugh throughout next season because this season has just been a disaster for Michigan. But it's easy as the president of the university or AD to just say it's COVID related. We never got in a rhythm. Let's not really examine Harbaugh's recruiting. Let's not examine his coaching skills. Let's not impugn any of his abilities. Let's just decide, not based on the 2020 record, what we're going to do with Jim Harbaugh. But some Michigan alum have taken this cancellation of the game and they've taken and they've read into it as though this is the AD saying that we're no longer with you, Jim. This is the president saying we don't approve of what you did when Big Ten canceled their season, postponed their season, and you came out in favor of your players, and you came out saying you didn't understand what was happening, and all the other things that you did. None of that. This game was canceled because under COVID protocols, it was not reasonable to play, and the Big Ten needed to get Ohio State either a sixth game, or they had to make sure no one from Ohio State got sick and had a COVID problem because they need to make sure that Ohio State is in the college football playoff. Remember that Michigan, in case you even care, Michigan would have only had 45 players available because of COVID and all the other reasons that we can say, but it wasn't about any of that, Coca. No, this was simply about making sure that Ohio State lives to fight another day and makes it to the college football playoff. I want to do a quick wait to see here on Jim Harbaugh. A lot of talk about his contract. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. Either it does or it doesn't. Wait to see. And we'll revisit it because you know we revisit stuff. Jim Harbaugh will be given an extension after the 2020 season, not because he deserves it, because I think he should be fired. And I've called for his firing for years, even before nothing personal. What I underestimated was the support Jim Harbaugh has from some of the biggest donors to the University of Michigan. That is why Jim Harbaugh will get a contract extension. He will continue on in Michigan. His contract runs through 21. He will get an extension prior to the 2021 season. Okay. James Harden. Remember that phone call? I think James Harden listened to that phone call on Nothing Personal yesterday. That phone call made me laugh when Steve Silas spoke to James Harden and James Harden was in Atlanta at Little Baby's birthday party. That was yesterday's episode. Uh, if you if you have not watched or listened to that. Well, we got word that James Harden showed up. He's in Houston. That's just a Harden update. Way to go. He came to, he came to Houston, took a COVID test. He's going to be in training camp. And two minutes after he arrived, dos minutos, I miss you, Miami. Dos minutos. Word came out from a source that he doesn't need to be traded to Brooklyn anymore. He's willing to go to Philadelphia or to any other contender. I guess he doesn't think John Wall makes him a contender. Because if I am Steve Silas, I go into James Harden and I say, hey, you want to be traded to a contender? Hold on. Let me be right back. Hey, guess what? We just acquired you. We are a contender with you, James. James Harden. Do you know what else is going on right now? Can you believe that some people think this is a baseball show, which it's not. We do sports, entertainment, politics. We do everything. Right now, the winter meetings are going on. 
and there has not been one talk of baseball. Very telling to me. Do you guys know it's the winter meetings? Are you aware of what's going on during the winter meetings? Any big trades? God, I, I think back to the winter meetings I went to, 16 of them or seven, six, six, 18 of them I think I went to, or 17 out of 18 years. You're there and you're making trades and you're meeting with teams and you're talking to free agents and agents and you're figuring out what you're going to do. It feels good to put your team on the board because you write all the names down, you write the batting order, you write your rotation, you write about your bullpen, and it's awesome. You think you're never going to lose a game. Well, now the winter meetings are virtual. MLB is both happy and despondent, and I want to leave you with this nugget about the winter meetings. The winter meetings to me were interesting, but they were really for minor league teams. They were the minor league meetings before they were the major league meetings. It's a big expense for a team to send all the people to winter meetings who we sent. One year, we drew, have pe- we had people drive to Boston from Montreal and got criticized that we were being cheap, and I laughed. We've got traveling secretaries and team psychologists and trainers and managers and assistant GMs and GMs and assistants to the assistant GMs and scouting and development and pro scouting, player personnel, president, owner. Scores of people go to the winter meetings. You have to pay for them to go. You pay for food. You pay for hotel. And it used to be that major league teams wanted to be there because that was an opportunity to spend time with other teams and other executives. Those days are over. They text, they FaceTime. You don't need to sit in a suite and go to another suite. We always said, hey, we got a meeting two o'clock. We're going to the Dodgers suite. Hey, we got the Red Sox suite coming to us at 1.30. You don't need that. There's complete communication 12 months a year, 365 days a year. So I think the winter meetings are a thing of the past, except what baseball did love about the winter meetings is they love the opportunity to be part of their off-season drive to stay in the public eye. You know how the NBA stays in the public eye around free agency because all the players sign. NFL stays in the public eye 12 months a year because they have the NFL. Baseball always had jealousy that they wanted signature events during the off-season to draw attention. And free agency is crawling along because no one knows their payroll. No one knows who to sign, how much to pay them. No one knows whether they're going to be fans in the stands for all the reasons we talked about nothing personal. No one knows anything. So the offseason has been a DUD and there's still labor issues to take place. There's still a question as to when the season is going to start, how many games there's going to be. And now the winter meetings, their signature offseason media event where networks are there covering it. I would have said to CBS, let me go to the winter meetings and do nothing personal from the winter meetings. You do it from the lobby. You get a bunch of attention. You get to see people. There's no one there. There's nothing doing. There's no one talking about it. It's the end of the show. And we're just talking about the baseball winter meetings. That should lead off the show. Big signing. Trevor Bauer signed. Nope. Okay. Today's December 9th. 21 years ago today was my first day in baseball. 21 years ago was the press conference announcing Jeffrey Loria as owner of the Montreal Expos at a press conference at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal. I'll never forget getting on the elevator at the hotel where we stayed at the Intercontinental. I was with Jeffrey and I said, are we ready? Because starting today, our life will change forever. And it's true. Our life did change forever. 21 years, 21 years 
Hey, Jeffrey, you know what I'm about to say. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Here you go. Here you go. 